Go on, thanks, Well, church, what a great joy it is to be here with you. And to all of you, I send you my greetings and I my greetings, both here who are on site and, of course, our friends who are online. Let's pray to God and we ask Him to speak to us, to lead us in our hearing of His Word, in our worship of His Holy Name. Father, we thank You, God, for Your great love for us. We thank You, God, that You, by Your Holy Spirit, inspire this Holy Word. And Your Holy Spirit is here in our midst. Whether it is in this sanctuary or in our homes, we thank You, God, your spirit is with us and we ask god that you will take what you inspire and speak to us lord god that we may hear we may understand and then we may align our wills to your will for we ask this in jesus blessed name amen so as uh, pastor john uh, explained uh, the reason why I'm here is because Bishop Rennie's uh, messaged me early this morning and uh, he asked, Hey, Kim Seng, can you do, are you able to go to Good Shepherd and do confirmation service this morning, 11 a.m.? I told my wife, I said, we got news. Huh? And uh, well, uh, I said, yes, yeah, surely I can do. Right? Surely you can do. And then the, contacted uh, Reverend John and in the course of the communication, he, is, he says, very kindly asked, uh, Bishop, are you going to preach or shall I preach? And I say, well, I say I can preach. And I tell you the reason why uh, I am preaching what I'm preaching this morning. It is a message I believe God has for our church. And in fact, this is the only message that I preach in Anglican churches and in any church that invited me for the year well, 2020, 2021, right? And uh, but I, now this doesn't mean I don't preach on any other topic, right? Uh, for example, I'm going to preach in St. Peter's Hall this coming week, and they told me, preach, by the, preach from the lectionary. I said, sure, because in St. Peter's Hall, we always preach from the lectionary, right? Now, I believe that there is uh, important, that uh, something important is contained in what we are about to unpack. Now, the sermon title is, Idolatry unmasked. You know, but idolatry is, is negative, right? It's not something that, that uh, we look for, right? And, uh, but we need to unmask it. But if we want to look at it from the other angle, because you can look at any issue from several angles, actually is to look at worship or true worship unpacked, right? But back to the text in the... Exodus 32. And in Exodus 32, it's a story or it's an account that we all are familiar with, right? In fact, we teach it to our Sunday school children. And I think it's important for us to take a deep look at the text because idolatry is a violation against God. Worship, true worship, is God's inalienable right. Belongs to Him and Him alone. But there is a being 
that is challenging this. And this being, if we want to understand the history of the devil, right, was created a beautiful angel. But for some reason, which is kind of hard to comprehend, one day decided that he wants to take the place of God. And so we are living in a world that is in this chaos. But the day will come when God will put everything in proper order. Central to all that human beings struggle with actually is worship. The worship of God. The true worship of the living God. Idolatry is the devil's grand scheme to turn us against God and by the same token, turn God against us. The Exodus 32 passage will unpack for us significant lessons. Now let me just uh, recap for you the Exodus 32, 1-14 passage. What happened was the people of Israel had been delivered out from Egypt in a powerful way. God has spoken to them. In fact, in fact, God earlier had spoken to them on how they are to worship Him. They give, and God gave them the Ten Commandments on how to order their lives. Then God said to Moses, Moses, come up to the mountain. I'm going to give you, well, in today's language, uh, hard copies. Right? Hard copies. And Moses went on the mountain and he was delayed. Now the people were impatient and so they said to the second in command, Aaron, Aaron, please, we don't know, know what has happened to this guy Moses. Can you please sort things out, right? Can you make us something that we worship and we get on with life? And thus, Aaron made a golden calf, right? God was so angry, God wanted to kill everybody. But because of Moses' intercession, God relented, and then the progress of the Israelites continued from there, right? But I want to go deep into the text by asking the question, was the Exodus 32 apostasy an attempt to abandon God and replace Him with the golden calf. Now, many people will say, yes, of course, they make the golden calf, right? And they say, well, it's, a, it's something which they learned from the Egyptians because a golden calf, a calf is one of the objects of worship in the, in the Egyptian system, okay? But surprisingly, the answer is a resounding no. They were not in the process of, in their mind, abandoning God. Very important for us to understand this. How do I know? Well, the, un the answer is found in the text. Right? It's found in the text. And uh, if we look at verse 1, right, it says that when the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, ah, Make us gods. Notice, plural. How many golden calves was made? Only one. How come here is in plural, right? If you have several. And the same word 
is also the same plural form is found in verse 4, verse 8. The word Elohim. Now in Hebrew, the word for God, G-O-D, is Eloah. By the way, eh, the word Allah comes from the same root. It's a Semitic language. So Eloah is God. And in Hebrew, when you pluralize a word, you add im at the back. So for example, kibbutz, kibbuzim, right? Eloah, Elohim, gods, make us gods. How come the people say make us gods? And then you only have one golden calf. The answer is very simple. The answer is, in the whole Bible, in the Old Testament, of course, whenever the word God's Elohim is used, it always refers to the one and only God. Except in instances where it's quite clear, you're talking about idolatry. So, for example, the most famous text where you find the word Elohim is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. We didn't translate, in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. We just say, in the beginning, God, capital G, one God. In the language of the Old Testament, the word Elohim primarily describes the one and only God who revealed himself to us. Now, this is further reinforced when we look at verse 4 and 5 right, of the text. Verse 4 and 5 says, you know, when Aaron saw this, saw that they have made this one golden calf, Aaron made a proclamation. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Right? Capitalized. The word Lord is capitalized. And for, I mean, those of us who are familiar with the Bible, we know the word, whenever the word Lord is capitalized, it is translated from the Hebrew term, well, in English, uh, translated into English will be Y-H-W-H, four vowels, you cannot pronounce it, right? And so people put vowels in between and they use the word Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, Yahweh or Jehovah the, or the Lord is the name card of God. When God reveals himself to people, when God reveals himself to Moses, to Abraham, Right? He says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Right? And like I say, it is as if God's name card right, is printed there. Uh, I am the Lord. So basically, what the people did was, uh, what in, in this idolatry event, Aaron and the crowd had no desire to turn away from God. The God who took them out of Egypt. They thought, they were still worshipping Elohim, Yahweh, the Lord. So this, asks, this, this brings us to a very important question, and that is this. What does idolatry look like? A very important question for us to answer. Now, idolatry is not just the worship of what is not God. Just now when I came to, into this beautiful sanctuary, my mind was brought back. 50 over years ago, when I first came to Church of the Good Shepherd in the old building. And 
a few weeks prior to stepping into the church, the old church sanctuary, I had made a commitment of faith to Jesus Christ at 17 years old or something like that. Now, before I made a commitment of faith to Jesus Christ, I was like all Chinese of my generation, we worship idols. We put idols in the home to worship. We worship our ancestors. Now, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. So, idolatry is the worship of what is not God. And of course, one of the first things that we, that we commit ourselves to, that I commit myself to is, I shall worship no other God. No idolatry for me. That's straight away, that's straightforward idolatry. The worship of what is not God. But if we look at the Exodus 32 passage carefully, Exodus uh, 32 also tells us this, that idolatry is also the false worship of the true and living God. Friends, listen to this carefully. The false worship. In other words, we, can we worship God the way we like it? Or the way we think it should be done? Well, Exodus 32 is a great reminder for us on what the true worship of God should look like. Idolatry, the great danger of idolatry is people can think that they are worshipping God when in effect they are worshipping a God of their own making. Number two, idolatry is but cheap imitation of true worship. Let me say this. True worship is always costly. It's costly in various ways, but it is costly. Right? Don't have time to unpack the details of what or how costly it will be in the true worship of God. But at least true worship of God is costly in terms of the materials that God endow us with. Whereas, idolatry is, well, cheapskate worship. The golden calf was cheapskate worship. Now, I know when I say that, some of you will say, oh, excuse me, Bishop, you don't know how to calculate. Huh? Oh, the gold very expensive, well, it must be. But let me tell you this. Well, let, me, let me put it this way. The golden calf. How did they get the material for the golden calf? Well, Aaron said to the people, guys, you want me to make something very simple? And I suppose he threw a big canvas on the floor and said, now tell your wives and your children who wear rings, take the ring, earring and throw it there. And when you have, when you have uh, accumulated enough earrings, gold earrings, we'll make a calf, right? Let me ask you, how expensive, how costly is a small piece of earring. Now, I'm, I, I'm quite sure they're not talking about one huge thing which you pull the ear off, right? Earring, take and throw down. Loose change. Loose change worship. Now, what the, we need to watch this. When our worship of God is loose change, and only we ourselves know. When our worship of God is loose change, we need to think carefully whether we are in danger of idolatry. Thirdly, and this is the most serious, idolatry is utterly displeasing to God. In the Exodus 32 passage, God wanted to destroy all the Israelites 
who had come out from Egypt. And God said to, Abraham, uh, said to Moses, Moses, I will continue my work by making a nation out of you. Is it possible? It could, yeah, I think it's possible. Right? Except things are time, the, time, the time will be delayed right? for Moses to become a nation, just like Abraham became a nation. Well, out of uh, Moses' intercession, God relented. Right? But idolatry was so bad that God would have destroyed the whole lot altogether. Now, this brings me to our next point, and that is this. What does true worship look like? Right? Well, true worship is costly. In contrast, of course, true worship is costly. If we look at uh, Exodus 35, right? Uh, God asked them, in fact, God earlier had commanded them to make the, uh, the, the tabernacle, right? And then in Exodus 35, we are told that uh, Aaron asked the people, sorry, uh, Moses asked the people to bring in things that they will give for the making of the tabernacle, right? So in the Exodus 35, verse 32, it says, So they came, both men and women, all who of a willing heart brought brooches. Now, obviously, I think brooches will be slightly bigger than earrings. And earrings and signet rings and armlets. All sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering to God. Now, let me digress by saying this. The true worship of God is costly. And it must impact the material things that God has put into our hands. Don't have the time to go into detail, but the, the instrument that God used to transform us into be willing givers for the worship of God is the tithe. The tithe and free will offering. Now, I'm so glad just now when we were coming in, I saw the box and check. Tithe and free will offering. So, oh, this is the good shepherd. This, this is the good, this is the old good, good shepherd. Now, naturally, human beings, we tend to be grabbers. God transforms us into givers by this very special well, gift, if, if I may say, that He gives to us. And that is the commandment to return Him His tithe. I don't have the time to unpack this for you, but if you look at Scripture about tithing, the term that Scripture used for tithing is this, that the tithe is holy unto the Lord. In other words, it is God's personal property. And we are to return it to Him. Now, tithing, one of the purpose of tithing is God uses that to create or to do a spiritual operation in our heart so that we are transformed from grabbers into givers. When we return to God His tithe, He enables us after that to give to Him. So I teach people, actually it's always wrong, theologically it's wrong to say, let us return our tithe to God. No, 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 no. 
let us return God's tithe back to Him and also to give Him our offerings. So true worship, okay, is costly and you look at the way in which it happens in the life uh, in Exodus 35. Uh, secondly, true worship is anchored on the Word of God. Now in Exodus 25, 8-9, right? And let me read the text for you. Uh, here, when God was giving Moses the instruction to build the uh, tabernacle, uh, this is what he says. In verse 8, he says, And let them make me a sanctuary, a tabernacle, that I may dwell in their midst. Then he says in verse 9, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. Now this is Old Testament worship. God gives clear instructions on how the tabernacle was to be built. right? And let me say this, this whole principle actually is carried into the New Testament when it comes to the worship of God. Because God gives us, teach us in Scripture on how we are to worship Him. And the more, the more we are anchored upon the Word of God, the more precise, the more on, spot on, are we in the worship of God. Let me move on to the third point. And there is true and true and acceptable worship of God is always characterized by reverence and awe towards Him. Let me just quote a text in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Now, the letter of Hebrews was written to believers, and as the title implies, the earliest Christians were Jewish people. By the way, the earliest followers of Jesus Christ were Jewish people. Gentiles, like you and me, enter into the kingdom relatively late. And so in the letter to the Hebrews, the, when it was written, it was written to, to Christians, to followers of Jesus Christ, who were on the verge of, some were on the verge of, uh, well, giving up on their faith, so to speak. And then, the author to Hebrews basically conveyed to the people, look, do you know what's happening to us? That in the past, God spoke to us by prophets. Now, He has spoken to us by His Son. And this is what His Son is all about. Right? And the author to the Hebrews basically describes Jesus. Right? Now, by the way, the letter to the Hebrews is what I call the fifth gospel. Of course, we know the four gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the fifth gospel is a theological gospel. It explains who is this Jesus. Right? And ultimately, this is what this Jesus do. This is what this Jesus did for us. He, by his ministry, by his death, brought us into the kingdom of God. Now let me pause over here and say this. I hope all of us over here in this sanctuary and those who are hearing online know for sure that we are in the kingdom of God. If we are not in the kingdom of God, if you are not sure. It is because we do not know. 
Oh, sorry. If you are not sure, it is because we are not in the kingdom of God. Because if we are in the kingdom of God, we know. How do we know? Because there is a king who rules over our lives. Because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hebrews 12, 28. Now this is what those of us who have, who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we have entered into the, into the kingdom of God, we know we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That changes every equation, changes everything. Even if the whole world were to collapse, no, no issue. Because we are in the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us then, with gratefulness, offer to God acceptable worship. Now notice the word used in scripture over here, acceptable worship. In other words, it also means that there is such a thing as unacceptable worship, idolatry. Same thing, in the gospel reading, Jesus talks up, uh, uh, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. He said, you guys worship God in vain, right? Worship, to worship God in vain is the same as unacceptable worship. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now, if there is no sense of awe and reverence for God, in all likelihood, the God that we are worshipping is a God of our own making and is idolatry. Let me say this. I believe part of the problem in contemporary church is that many people are worshipping a God of their own making or they are worshipping a God of their so-called pastor's making. And when we worship a God, not the God of Holy Scripture, but a God of human making, we are in danger of idolatry. Now let me move on. Is there idolatry in the, in the church today? Well, first of all, we need, to, we need to hit Paul's warnings. We need to hit Paul's warnings. Now, there is a lot of teaching by the Apostle Paul on the problem of idolatry, right? And by the way, one of the ways in which uh, uh, Paul speaks about idolatry is this. He says, covetousness is idolatry. The desire to acquire more and more and more and more is idolatry. And we Singaporeans need to watch this very carefully because we are living in a setting which encourages us to acquire more and more and more, right? But we'll talk about idolatry Singapore style. Now, it, it gives me no joy to speak like this, but it is my duty. It's my responsibility to speak like this. And I'm referring to the heresy of a man called Joseph Prince. Now, the best refutation of this uh, heresy is championed by a guy called George Ong, and there's a website there if you want to check it out, right? But I believe that Joseph Prince is promoting a God of his own making. 
thereby leading many Christians into idolatry. Let me call him verbatim. He says, you will never find an example of God punishing a believer for his sins in the new covenant. Now, obviously, those of us who read scripture, we know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? And if God, if that's not the work of God against Ananias and Sapphira, who? If God does not punish a believer for his sins in the new covenant, why does the author of Hebrews have to warn us, right? that we are to worship with God, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I don't want to spend too much time about this, but I, I want to suggest to you, those of you who, I know, I know some people would uh, you know, read his things and uh, listen to his podcast or whatever it is, my suggestion to you is this, go back and read your Holy Bible. Allow that to shape your life. Don't allow the teaching, so-called, teachings, anointed teachings of Joseph Prince to shape your life. At the end of the day, your salvation matters and your salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me move on. Let me wrap everything to a close by asking a question. What is your worship of God like? Number one, is it shaped by costliness? And sacrifice. No need to elaborate on that. Secondly, is your worship of God anchored upon Holy Scripture? Now, one of the great problems uh, of 21st century Christianity uh, is people think that they know a lot of the Bible when they know nothing. They say, no, I can just search. Right? Now, your search engines... uh, it's not going to, it's not the same as storing the words of God into your mind, right? And the word of God, when it's stored into your system, scripture says many things happen. One of which is it keeps you from it keeps you away from sin. It stands as a guard against sin. 21st century Christianity, particularly because of the smartphone, has made us not so smart. Because of the smartphone, we churn everything there. And uh, my suggestion is, well, it's good to go back to hard copies of the Bible and study the Bible carefully. Thirdly, is our worship of God characterized, shaped by reverence and awe for God? This morning, as I was walking in with Reverend Jonathan, I said, John, I really like the old Good Shepherd Nilus that are being transformed into this. You know our furniture shapes our understanding and the way we express our worship of God. I tell people, you cannot truly worship God with reverence and awe in cinema setting seats. But ask the question, when was the last time you knelt in the presence of God. If you say, well, uh, last Sunday in church, I say, very good. But I ask you, when was the last time you knelt? When was the last time when you, in private, not in a church setting service, in private, 
you knew in the presence of God? If your answer is, oh, I, I don't know, man. I'm going to suggest to you, there is something that you will need to do. Why? Because if in your private moments, you don't kneel before God. If in our private moments, we don't kneel before God. God is the closest to us in the, in the privacy of our privacy. I know God's Spirit is here. But God is with us in the deepest recess of our privacy. And if in the deepest recess of our privacy, we never kneel before God, I want to suggest to you that we need to allow Holy Scripture to shape our worship of God afresh. We need to have idolatry unmasked so that we may worship the true and living God according to the way He deserves to be worshipped. Let's pause and we ask God to help us. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is the word of everlasting life. Lord God, we pray that you will take your word and shape our hearts and transform our spirits, Lord God. Our souls and our spirits that you may find us sons and daughters whose hearts are after the true and living God, Abba Father. For we ask this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Now before Pastor Jonathan come, uh, lead us together in the confirmation part of the service, let me say this to those of you who have been confirmed today. The, confirm the confirmation service, I tell people that we Anglicans are hyper-charismatic. Why? Because we have a service dedicated to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, and that's the confirmation service. Now, the Holy Spirit is the person in the Godhead who makes, every, who makes all the difference in our day-to-day -day living. And in the confirmation service, we all pray for the work of the Holy Spirit to be deepened in our lives. So whether we have been, whether we've been following Jesus Christ for a long time or a short time, it's a good time for us today at the, at the confirmation service for all of us, right? And particularly pray for those who have been confirmed today that there will be a new welling up of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How do we know the Holy Spirit is at work in our life? Well, when the Holy Spirit is at work in our life, one of the things that happen to us is this, that we begin to have a struggle on whether we do God's will or we do our own will, right? And every time we say to God, we submit ourselves to the Spirit of the living God. Every time He leads us, things become easier and easier. And so I want to say to you, those of you who have been confirmed today, open your hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven loves us. His Son, Jesus Christ, died for our sins that we may enter into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit makes the fact that we are members of the kingdom of God a daily reality. Before we enter into the confirmation service, we're going to prepare our hearts through this uh, worship song. I invite you to stand. Even though we can't sing, let's uh, worship the Lord in our hearts by uh, uh, singing this song, I Surrender. <laughs> 